0: Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, the Miami Heat podcast for the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team. So for the Heat this week, we had a little bit of um, quite an up and down week, just just to put it lightly. We went 2-2, kind of felt 1-3, we'll get into that in a little bit. But 2-2, held water, maintained our position, and hopefully now we're set up uh, going forward. But to jump back to the games, uh, unfortunately, we do have to first talk about last Friday night against the Atlanta Hawks, because this one honestly might go down as the worst loss of the season. Like, uh, we, we've said that a few times before, I think like the Timberwolves from a few weeks ago, uh, there was the one against the Warriors earlier in the season uh, and on the West Coast road trip, and then I think there was one against Detroit that was really bad, but that was way early in the season when... Um, you know, we had a lot of injuries that we were having to deal with at the time. But this one against the Hawks is at least, it's it's up in there. Because for, first off, this is a game that they did not, that the Hawks did not have their two best players in Trey Young and Clint Capella. Uh, second, and this is one of the big problems with, with this loss in particular, there was a lot riding on the line for this. This decides the tiebreaker between the Hawks and the Heat, which has massive ramifications because right now they're pretty much right on top of each other in the standings. So just on a, a macro sense, this loss essentially means that uh, either we have to like beat the Hawks, we cannot tie the Hawks. If we tie the Hawks, they get the higher seeding because we blew a game where they didn't have their two best players. It just It's hard to argue, even with the Timberwolves and the Warriors games, those are Western teams. Like They were endemic of problems that the team was having at the time. But at the end of the day, at least it wasn't hurting them in the long run because what does it matter if you lose to a team in the opposite conference That, outside of just the general impact it has on uh, your stance? But the loss against the Hawks is against somebody that they are right on top of and now have given a massive edge to in a game that, on paper, the Heat should have won. So looking into like causes for this uh, really, it seems like it came down to just, uh, first off, all, very bad defense by Miami, just in general, they let the Hawks shoot 53%. That's just way too high. So the defense wasn't quite there, especially in the second half where they got very badly outscored and the other parts of it were, so one part of it was the defense. Another part of it is the benches. Miami's bench got absolutely destroyed By Atlanta's, like you look at plus minuses for Atlanta's bench, all positives. Look at plus minus for the Heat's bench, all negative. And it the eye test backs up those statistics. And then it was also really bad shooting, specifically from Duncan Robinson, which is unfortunately something that's gonna be repeated a few times on this episode because he he struggled mightily this week, and it definitely played out in how Miami plays. And it's gotten to the point. Uh, Miami is going to have to take a, a good look in the mirror this summer when it comes to time to pay Robinson because this week was pretty indicative of how vital he is to Miami right now, um, which we'll I'll get into a little bit why later on. But to, to wrap up the Hawks game, yeah, it was bad shooting. Duncan Robinson went two for 10, so they're not getting anything there. Overall, the Hawks shot 43% from three, which is a part of the reason why Uh, and when you combine that with 53% shooting from the field, they just pretty much scored at will and just kept Miami at at a double digit deficit for most of the second half. So at the end of the game, um, here's where the title of this episode comes from. Jimmy Butler pretty famously said, the Miami Heat are a consistently inconsistent team, which is exactly how you get nights like this. Like, you if a team wants to sit there and say, we should be in like the four to five matchup, or six, or at least out of the playing tournament. You have to show a certain level of consistency, and if you don't, that's how you end up dropping bad games against the Warriors and the Timberwolves, and now the Hawks with two of their best players out, and another one against the the Bulls. We're going to get to in a little bit. And if you're consistently consistent like that, makes sense that you're at the seventh spot where Miami is right now. Moving on from the Hawks now, though, uh, Saturday we had we were hosting the Bulls, which we actually ended up winning that 106-101. However, for anybody that watched the game, that what I said at the top of the episode where we went 2-2, but it felt kind of like we went 1-3, this Bulls, even though it was a victory, is where that, that change comes from because this was a game that, uh, first of all, Bulls, I forgot to mention this last time, were without their all-star, Zach Levine. Sure, they still have another all-star in Vucevic. Uh, however, Levine is the primary player on their team. That's their number one. So without him, kind of like with the Hawks, you would say, okay, on paper, the Heat should win this game. The Bulls are absolutely reeling right now. They've actually dropped the 11th seed outside of the playoffs, uh, even at the play-in game. So they are a vulnerable team without their all-star. And sure, they're going to fight for their lives, but just like before, this should be something that, that a good team can handle. And Miami did for the first half. They were actually up 20 at halftime, so they were up quite a bit. And then they kind of let the Bulls hang around in the third quarter, uh, thinking, okay, we still got this this big lead. It's no big problem. And then it just went absolutely nuts in the fourth. He completely collapsed. The Bulls Got within uh, two or three points of, of actually, you know, taking the lead, which again was used to be a twenty-point lead at halftime, and yet Miami managed to squeak away for a win, fortunately. And overall, uh, one of the big one of the big indicators for how they got back in the fourth was uh, three-point shooting. Again, unfortunately, Heat shot twenty-five percent, Bulls shot fifty percent, so that helped power a lot of what they were doing. Whereas Miami bricking shots, Bulls making shots, that's kind of what it takes. Um, and unfortunately, to bring up the, the Robinson po- uh, point again, in uh, this is kind of a good microcosm game for what Robinson does for Miami. So in the first half, which Miami beat them by 20 points, Robinson went 6 for 8. Outstanding, oh sorry, 6 for 9. So i got to make sure I did the math right. So he went six for nine, so 66% from three, drop and um, pretty high volume, too. Nine, nine attempts in a half is pretty good volume. Some players don't get that up in a game, period. However, in the second half, which was also coincides, magically, I guess you could think of it that way, coincides with Miami collapsing and almost giving up this lead. He goes one of six, so he just didn't get it to drop. And like I said, it's a good microcosm for Robinson shooting well, Heat playing well. Robinson shooting bad. He played bad. Uh, but still, got the W. That's what matters at the end of the day. So that was good for that part. However, we then had to turn around and host the Bulls again Monday night. And you got to think, okay, they just had a game where they know that they can push back and they almost won that game. What's it going to look on the second night? You really got to come out and have that sense of urgency and try to squash it. And Miami did... At- First, they had a very strong first quarter. They had a solid lead. And then, kind of like what we saw with the Atlanta game, uh, once they went to the bench at the beginning of the second quarter, it all just collapsed. Um, And the bench ended up coughing the lead. And then, like before, uh, they just completely collapsed in the second half, specifically the fourth quarter, and that resulted in a loss to the Bulls, 110-102. to Duncan Robinson... Again, like before, uh, started struggling. He went one of seven from three, so somewhat good volume, but obviously not giving you much of anything, and again, it gets linked in with Miami struggling because of that. He did leave with what looked to be some kind of illness. However, he would have been fine enough to um, play the Spurs on Wednesday, so at least there was that. But it kind of goes back to show, okay, maybe, maybe he wasn't feeling good for this last week, but because of that, Him not feeling well means Miami struggled greatly against, to be honest, theoretically inferior competition. And that gets to the, again, to the consistency part. Without Duncan Robinson, they can't consistently seem to beat bad teams in the Bulls and the Hawks minus, you know, big asterisk on the Hawks minus Clint Capella and Trey Young. And part of the reason why, like, they're so relying upon Robinson is they really don't have... A good source of three point shooting outside of it. So you think like none's an okay shooter. Dragic has taken a step back. Uh, Hero's taking a step back. Robinson has kind of just just a step back from historic levels. But even then, he he's still the only one that's like consistently above forty percent from three, and therefore their only main source of three-point shooting. So in this game in particular, the Monday game against the Bulls, they, they went a decent 38% from three, so it's not like their offense was anything too amazing. The problem on Miami's end is they went an absolutely frigid 19% from three, with the primary contributors to that being uh, Duncan Robinson that I mentioned, and then also uh, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, unfortunately, who only they went like one of five, one of six each. And these are two-way players that were specifically brought in to, to at the very least, plug in and be able to shoot and space the floor. Uh, Vincent has evolved into a little bit more of, like, occasionally he can knock down a three, but more so like a really good defender. Struess was supposed to be a three-point shooter, has had some very good shooting games, just was not there this time. But... No three-point shooting, and also Miami getting destroyed on rebounding. Like this, this is one of those. It was a significant enough difference that it warrants mention. They got beat fifty-one to thirty-four on the boards, seventeen of nine in the fourth quarter, which led to a lot of extra possessions for the Bulls, and that was coupled with three-point shooting, this led to a collapse and an unfortunate Heat loss. However, the Heat were able to bounce back. Uh, the f- Two nights later, Wednesday against the Spurs, where they managed to win 116 to 111, and this was again where the Spurs came in. They're in a, uh, just hanging on to the edge of the playing game right now over in the West, so they're playing with a sense of urgency, quite like Miami, of trying to improve their position. So for this game, uh, Miami, like before, came out had a really good first quarter, built themselves a good lead. And like before, started the second quarter, bench came in, and they gave that lead up. Uh, Miami was able to keep a one-point lead at halftime, but at one point, I think they had a lead as high as 14 or 15 points in the first half. uh, And that all got coughed up, uh, unfortunately, by the bench. So that's been a real, real area of struggle for Miami, which is very disappointing because bench depth is theoretically supposed to be one of our strengths. The reality is that it has not been, uh, especially amongst the losses that have been piling up at the end of the season. But to get back to the focus of the Spurs game, the big things, like I said, we are up by one at halftime. And then fortunately, that's right. We have Jimmy Butler, who was an absolute monster. He powered a big run at the end of the third quarter that helped not only erase um, a deficit, but build a solid lead for Miami going into the fourth. They were up uh, five to seven points at that point. And then they were able to just kind of hold on. Butler got a few minutes of rest. He came back, and then between Butler and Bam, they really powered a, a closing fourth-quarter run to help Miami take the win. And then just on a Duncan Robinson watch, since, again, he went out earlier on earlier on Monday, he went out, was out of the game. He did come back. He was still able to play. He was limited but efficient. Uh, he went 2-4 from three. Which is good, it's fifty percent, and it's two, which is, you know, more than he made in the last game. However, it's is low volume, and part of the problem is, is if if he's not as big of a volume threat, it kinda hurts the spacings. Like spacing really one part volume and then one part efficiency. So like if you're an extremely if you're an extremely good shooter like Duncan Robinson, but you're only taking four attempts a game. Sure, you might have a two for four, one nine, maybe a three for four, maybe even one time a four for four. But you're not as big of a threat just because you're not putting up that many attempts. Uh, obviously, the, the converse is is the worst if you're a really high volume and low efficiency. Uh, but if you are, you know, high efficiency but low volume, you do have impact, it's just limited. And looking at the game, though, it really looked a lot of what it was for Robinson was just he he gets a lot of his looks by just running around constantly. And eventually the defender gets caught in a screen or gets caught ball looking for a little bit. You know, there's a lapse in defense that because he is running around like crazy constantly, whether there's that one lapse, it gives him it gets him open enough that you can throw him the ball and he'll shoot. This seemed to be like he didn't have quite the energy to run around as much, which is what led to him having so few attempts overall because he's not able to capitalize or he is not forcing through through rapid movement. He is not forcing those defensive lapses. Um, just hope that he can take this rest and get back to health because as these games have shown, Miami is... Um, shockingly reliant upon him to be a high-volume three-point shooter. And part of that is also dependent upon him being healthy enough to run around and get those looks. So segueing from from there, now we've covered the the games that were passed, I want to bring up what Jimmy Butler mentioned in the loss to the Hawks on Friday night. Miami is a consistently inconsistent team. So digging into that, like I mentioned a little bit before, uh, some of the big problems from that come from the way the Heat as a team operate. So I've mentioned this before as well, uh, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, for as much as they do just about everywhere on the court, the one area that neither of them really help or impact in, outside of Jimmy occasionally, is knocking down threes and helping to keep the floor stretched. Both of them are very much more so comfortable being playmakers, defenders, and rim attackers, which, unfortunately, if the two of them are then going to be out on the floor, that then means Miami needs three-point shooters in those other three spots around them so that to give them the space to operate. Otherwise, especially in the playoffs, the defense is going to go, okay, uh, we're just going to sag off, we're just going to hang around the paint, and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo they can still be effective, but the only way that they're going to be effective in that situation would be bulldozing themselves to the rim over and over, and I question how long that strategy can work both on them physically and strategically in the playoffs. Point all being is that they need that three-point shooting in the other spots. And that was one of the things that they did have last year. So, like, uh, Nunn, Hero, Robinson. Robinson was an absolutely... It was like an all-time shooting performance from him. Um, Myers-Leonard was a solid three-point shooter. They had enough shooting in all the other spots that they had enough space to operate, and therefore last year's offense was really, really good. This year, between Leonard pulling his stuff and getting kicked out, and just other players like Hero regressing, Miami just doesn't have that spacing. So because of that, the offense has dropped tremendously from what it was last year. Uh, to compensate, the Heat fortunately were able to get better on the defensive end. But overall, this is a team that needs to knock down threes in order to win games. And the only place that they're going to get those three f- threes from is the supporting cast. It's going to come from the bench. It's going to come from the other starters like Trevor Riza. And Ariza has been good some games, and then he's had some other games where he's been very bad. But really, look, I want to focus more so on like the bench part, because Trevor Ariza, to his credit, one of the things that was making Miami an inconsistent team this year was uh, their problems that they had at the four and trying to address that after the departure of Jay Crowder. And Ariza has actually, I, I would say, has done his job plugging in the four position. He gives them a lot of the he gives them similar-ish defense with just his length and his veteran experience, and he's still pretty strong as well. So he kind of helps cover on the defensive end, and then he kind of helps cover on the offensive end as well. He's had some shooting struggles here and there. Like, his, his per game, it just varies. Like, you don't really know if you're going to get a, re- a, a good shooting night from a Razor or if you're going to get a bad one where you can't hit anything out of the corners. But on the nice side, he can do it. And then he can also flash a little bit of um, dribble to the rim and finish there. He offensively is, is kind of plugging that as well. So Trevor Reza, to his credit, has helped fix what Miami was having a problem with in their starting four position. Um, alongside with that, from the bench as well, uh, what player that has been really good and has also addressed another need for Miami was Dwayne Dedman, who... It's definitely, uh, he's heavily incentivized right now because he is on the edge of getting out of the league, so obviously he's going to play with a little more hustle, a little more energy. Regardless, the results have been he is very clearly the backup five for Miami going forward. He plays with a lot of energy, especially on the rebounding boards, which has been a problem for Miami, Um, and he just helps spell those minutes, Bam isn't there. As originally, those minutes were going to players like Precious Chua, who, unfortunately, he looks like he needs an offseason to really get things in the gear. Or they were going to Kelly Olenek, who then Miami had to trade. Or they were going to Nemanja Bielica, who, between limitations on defense and then his shot not falling on offense, is not giving them anything of the backup five. Dwayne Dedman has solved that problem of their backup five. Outside of that... And really, this is where it gets to the crux of the problem with the bench has been the guards and then a little bit of the wing play, specifically Andre Iguodala, who for Iguodala, like Bam and Butler, does a lot of really good things, playmaking, veteran experience, uh, defense. His shot, especially lately, is has not been good, and the offense bogs down because if you have Jimmy, Bam, and Iguodala out there it gets back to the problem we were saying before. The defense is just going to sag off. They're going to wall off the paint, and they're going to dare they're going to dare those players to shoot instead of letting them get to the rim. Um, Igudela at least has had some value. The big problem and where all the I think the inconsistency is coming from is in the guard play. So right now Miami is kind of getting by at least starting wise with Kendrick Nunn who has been a better than expected defender which is kind of just like a nice way of saying he's been he's been solid when I thought he would have been uh, quite a bit worse but he's been solid on defense he's been able to score at times on offense and then his playmaking has taken a step up so he's been i'd say closer to what I would say as a stopgap um not not to disparage Kendrick he's still a very good NBA player but it puts a ceiling on what this team can be, especially come playoff time. Like, I don't see Kendrick Nunn, unfortunately, as a starting point guard for a team that's going to be making it back to the finals. So then, who is? Well, Hero's been injured this week and has not looked good. Looks like he's taken a step back this year. Dragic, it looks like his age has caught up with him. And then the other guard, Oladipo, has been injured. So he hasn't been out there either. So you look at it like Miami has you know four guards on their roster between nun hero oladipo and dragic oladipo's out dragic and hero aren't giving you much and they're they're the players that are primarily coming off the bench so that's how that's where it's really exemplified like how much they have struggled because there're big reasons why Miami is giving up all all those leads when the bench comes in and then you got Nunn, who, who is good but there should be an area of improvement there over Nunn. However, none of the other guards are giving you that, so you have to go with what what you have best right now. I think that gets back to a lot of where Miami's problems coming from. Like, they they need something else, like a Duncan Robinson going off, Jimmy Butler bulldozing himself to the rim, Bam Adebayo playing out of his mind. They need these big performances from other areas, primarily because they can't get that consistency from a certain spot specifically the guard position. Like they, It's been said a lot, and one of the reasons why the Heat have been interested in a player like Bradley Beal specifically is because he gives them scoring from that guard position that they really need. It's one of the reasons why Duncan Robinson is so vital to them. He helps to stretch the floor from kind of like a pseudo-guard position, but essentially he's providing perimeter scoring. Miami needs that to unclog the paint, and so then Jimmy and Bam can then get to the line. It's it's a system. It all it all has it all has to have all its little parts unfortunately. The system works great when it works. We saw that last year. The offense looked great. It was just a problem with the defense. They fixed the defensive and they were able to elevate in the playoffs on the defensive end, especially with some of the tweaks that Spolster made, and then they were able to combine the two and power a finals run. This year has been the opposite case where they haven't had the shooting to keep the spacing out there, which then causes the offense to bog down and has all these problems. They've been able to compensate with the defense. And I guess the hope now is that come playoff time or hopefully come next game, their three-point shooting can get back up and then that'll help power their offense. But I, I very much doubt it. Like at this point, we're in season-long trends. So it doesn't feel realistic to say like, All of a sudden, Drogic or Hero are going to bust out of it. And there's been absolutely nothing on Oladipo that I've seen, so we don't even know how that's going to happen. So Miami is going to have a problem in this guard spot going forward and into the playoffs. And until they address that, they're just going to continue to be consistently inconsistent. Um, Some good news for the Heat coming out of this, at the very least... So last week they had their they finished up a five games and seven nights brutal stretch. At least for this week and next, there are two times where they have two nights off between games, which is very rare at this point in the season. Most of the times it's it's either one or no games off. So they had um, Thursday and Friday off this week between the Spurs and the, the next game against the Cavs. And then next week... They'll have a little bit of rest between the Mavs on Tuesday and the Wolves on uh, Friday. So, well, they will host the Wolves on Friday, so they don't even have to—they don't have to go anywhere for that one. So, this is an opportunity. This is where Miami will get their rest. Hopefully, it helps get their legs back. Hopefully, legs translates to three-point shooting, and hopefully, Miami can finish this run and secure better seed in the playoffs. With a two and two record this week, the Miami Heat were able to hold Pat. They are still at the seventh seed right now, which would have them hosting the eighth seed for the playing game. As of right now, the eighth seed is currently the Charlotte Hornets, who are two and a half games back of the heat, so they're they're pretty locked into where they're at right now at the eighth seed. They could slip uh, further, but just assuming right now it's the Hornets... Uh, they might have LaMelo ball back by the time that's the playing game, so there's a little bit of a trap game there. It would be better to just avoid it. Uh, that's just where we're at right now. But assuming they win that game, they, they would play the second seed, which right now is the Philadelphia 76ers. So, uh, to go over the standings from the top, right now, uh, Nets are at first, 76ers are at second, Bucks are at third. There is a big three-and-a-half-game chunk there, so there's still that wide berth between third and fourth. The Knicks are at fourth right now. However, the Heat do own the tiebreaker by sweeping the season series against the Knicks. Then the Heat are only two games back of the Knicks, who are about to go on a brutal Western road trip to close out this season, so the opportunity is there. However, it is dependent upon the Heat first winning their games. Um, Point, though, is this is an opportunity... And while Miami does seem to consistently drop opportunities like the Hawks, there are still more opportunities available. So the season is long. Got to we got to remember that. Um, after the Knicks at fourth, there are the Hawks uh, at fifth. They are currently a game above Miami. So, but like I mentioned before, they have the tiebreaker because Miami just um, couldn't take care of business last Friday. So... The Heat either need to beat the Hawks or they need to probably leap the Knicks and Celtics in order to get to that four to five matchup. Need to leap at least one of them uh, in order to avoid the playing games altogether. After the Hawks at fifth, we have the Celtics at sixth. So, over the season series, uh, they've only played one game. This is way back earlier in the season when Miami was heavily injured and the Celtics took advantage. So, they have one game, they won the current season series 1 0. However, there are two games coming up against the Celtics and um, near the end of the season, so there's an opportunity for Miami. They would need to win both of those games, but they could and theoretically own the tiebreaker against the Celtics, which could be massive. To at least, like, we know we have the tiebreaker on the Knicks. The Celtics is up in the air until those games, and we know we don't have it against the Hawks. So uh, owning the one against the Celtics would be huge, and we'll we'll get more into that as we get closer to the season uh so the Celtics and the Heat are actually tied right now so like if they own the tiebreaker the Heat would actually be out of the playing games at six seed right now um like I mentioned earlier the Heat are at seventh but two and a half games behind them so the the gap between four and seven is less than the gap between seven and eight right now so at least it feels feels pretty confident to say that at the very least the Heat will be a seventh seed going into the playoffs um just because that big gap Hornets are at eight the Pacers are one game behind the Hornets at ninth, and then another game behind the Pacers are the Wizards at 10th who've seemingly came out of nowhere to put together a really good win streak and usurp the Bulls from the tenth seed in the playoffs. So very little chance that I think the Heat drop down any any much further, but in the group that they're in right now, they are definitely the the bottom of the pack. With again the Hawks are under the tiebreaker, having one tiebreaker on one of one of the opponents in that group, uh, not having it against the other, and the third one's up in the air. Those Celtics games are going to be absolutely huge. Uh, looking at the Heat's schedule coming up, then they are going to be at the Cavs on Saturday, which this should be a winnable game. The Cavs have been one of the worst teams in the league all season long, outside of um, a small small little uh, come out the gate. Looking good for a week or two stretch to begin the season. Since then, they've just been bad. So Heat win this game. It's right there uh, and will be, again, huge considering what's going on with the Knicks. Then the other part, they will be at the Hornets on Sunday. This should still be a game without LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward for the Hornets. So theoretically, this is also a game Miami on paper should win would very much like to see it happen. We just don't know with, with the way this team plays. Um, I am going to try to be optimistic and say that we can definitely beat the Cavs and the Hornets, even if they are on the road. And then to finish out the week before next week's episode, we will host the Mavericks with Luka Doncic on Tuesday. That is quite easily the biggest biggest chance for Miami to lose just because the Mavericks, A, are a really good team. They, they have one of the best players in the league in Luka Doncic. And B kind of like my they're in a very similar position to Miami where they're trying to play like crazy to avoid the playing games, uh, so they are going to have that that extra little edge on them. Uh, overall, I do think Miami can get at least two wins uh, against the Cavs and against the Hornets, uh, and then the Mavs game is kind of a toss up. I think it's going to come down to who really wants it more, which is a little cliched, but that's kind of where we're at in the season where. Both teams have good players. Both teams have a sense of their identity. They're in similar situations, and it's going to kind of be who wants to get out of that situation more. Uh, But before we close, there is one thing uh, of note in the Mavericks game that at least is just kind of fun to watch. So uh, the Mavericks have Luka, Luka Doncic, who is a Slovenian player. Miami also has a Slovenian player, Goran Dragic. Uh, they, these two have actually been buddies for, for, quite, for quite a while. So there was a few years back uh, in the EuroLeague Championship where Goran Dragic and Luka Doncic, who Doncic was 18 at the time, he was just about to go into the EuroLeague. So the, again, this guy was way young. And the two of them actually powered Slovenia to winning the EuroLeague over Serbia. Um, had a Serbian front at the time, told me that there's no way that they're going to win. And they won, and I got to ha in his face. Regardless, uh, since then, those two have been very, very treasured by the country of Slovenia to the point that whenever the Mavs go to Miami, um, not, not so much when Miami goes to Dallas, at least not that I'm aware, just because it's a bit of a longer flight, but at least for the last few years, whenever the Mavericks come to Miami, you will see a portion of the audience that are all decked out in Slovenian colors. And they're nice because they're in like their own little section. I don't know if we'll have it this year, admittedly, just because of COVID and travel restrictions. But um, still keep an eye out for it. It's super cool. They they cheer like they're in a soccer stadium. It's a um, refreshing change of pace. And then usually after the games, they'll go talk to the fans and things like that. But that's just my my fun little thing I like, at least whenever we play the maps. Um, outside of... You know, the whole hate the mass part because of our uh, championship history. Regardless, that'll be all for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at KBR Heat Nation and the podcast at Heaters Heating. Also, be sure to check out the OTG podcast network at OTG Basketball. and We have a few extra teams on there as well. Uh, we have a few different podcasts uh, focused on some other stuff that could be of interest. Uh, and probably one of my personal favorites is the NBA outlet for general NBA talk. Nick and Corey and the crew always do a great job there. I do thank you very much for checking in with me, though, and I hope you have a great one. Let's go, Heat Nation.